0: All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and we are digging deeper, finally getting into the text of Revelation as we look at the introductory verses, the first three verses of Revelation chapter 1 this week. As I have said before, we will take a slower pace than we did through the Psalms and through Exodus to really get to what is at the heart of a lot of these obscure and difficult passages. Not that the first few verses or even the first chapter is all that obscure and dark, but simply to help keep us on a good pace throughout this time. Alright, so we look at the first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ spawns two questions. What is being revealed and who is giving the revelation? Peter helps us out in 1 Peter in chapter 1, verse 7, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ is that praise and glory that are his, according to Peter and according to the first petition, as we heard earlier this week. But also, the revelation takes the other side of it, and which is the way God works in both directions at one time. The revelation of Jesus Christ is a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing, at least from our perspective. First Peter 4, 13 But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The revelation of Christ is not only the praise and glory and adoration of the last day, but is also the sufferings that we have here for bearing his name. Two of the commentaries that I will bring out very often, if not in every episode, most every episode, will be uh, Dr. Lewis Brighton's Concordia Commentary Series on Revelation and Mark Brighton's commentary in the Reformation Heritage Bible Commentary Series. Uh, Both of these are very good commentaries. Links are in the description of the episode so that you may be able to find them, so that you can see. Uh, Dr. Brighton's Concordia commentary is quite thick because he does go through a lot of the material and the background and all of this. Uh, Dr. Mark Brighton's uh, book is much smaller, designed for just giving a quick read of how those who come from the Reformation heritage, whether it be Luther or Calvin, or even there's some Zwingli and Wesley quotes throughout the books as well, to see how these passages have been interpreted through from the Reformation side of it. So Dr. Lewis Brighton writes, there is then a clear sequence of mediation through which John and his audience received the revelation. God, Jesus Christ, his angel, John, and the seven churches. The source of the revelation is God. The mediator of the revelation is Jesus Christ, who uses an angel to give it to John and to the churches. Angels play an important role throughout the book of Revelation. They help in the mediation by leading or attending John through the visions. They help in the interpretation of the visions They also help John to focus on what is important in a particular vision. And they answer John's questions concerning something within a vision. So as we go through the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is the book that has the most references to angels, the most interactions with angels of any book in the Bible because it is through the angels that the story, the revelation of God's impending judgment and the things that must come to pass is going to happen and how they are interpreted. So we will see the angels, whether it's the seven angels with the seven trumpets, the seven angels with the bowls of wrath, or the three angels with the woes. Angel after angel after angel will be in the book of Revelation. And this is not something to make them more spectacular. They are doing their job. They're being messengers from God to John and thereby to us as well. So they help in the mediation by leading John through the vision or attending him in when he needs help through them, by interpreting the visions, by showing what is important. And this is one of Dr. Lewis Brighton's big things, is that we must see what is truly important in each particular vision. In the Reformation Heritage Commentary, he lists the challenge for modern readers is to interpret these symbols and metaphors as John intended. We must always investigate the meanings of these pictures and metaphors from John's perspective. These images were written by a Judean disciple, an apostle of Christ, who lived in the first century Roman Empire. They should be interpreted from his perspective. Some images and symbols reflect the culture and events of his Greco-Roman world, but the vast majority of them have been introduced before in the Old Testament. Which is another reason why I want to take things slow with Revelation, is that we will be referencing the other books of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, for some of these pictures and images so that we see what it is that John is trying to get at for his readers so that we understand what a first century Judean disciple, but also a first century uh, member of a church in Asia Minor would know about these things. And some of these things may seem crazy and obscure, because that's kind of the big thing with Revelation, just kind of flaunting all the major craziness in there. But God has seen, shown his people these things many times before. Revelation is not the first time people have seen 90% of what they have. All right, move on to verse 2. John, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. First of all, the witness there being the eyewitness, being an evangelist, being a disciple. This is building up who John is. So it's not considered as we will see when we look at the epistles of John later on, that people think that three different John's wrote them. But that he is truly an eyewitness of what Jesus has done and to the word of God given through Jesus as being one of those disciples. So John in his gospel writes from the mouth of Jesus in chapter 3, verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Very important to point out that this is in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, that the Rabbi, the member of the Sanhedrin who comes to Jesus by night, who is supposed to know these things, doesn't quite get it. And he can't wrap his mind around it. And Jesus says, okay, we testify of what we have seen. And I'm trying to show you what you have already seen before, but you do not receive. Again, in chapter 5, verse 32, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true, this being the Holy Spirit, not yet given to the disciples at that time, but promised that he will bear witness to them. John 19, 35, uh, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. This is John finishing up his story of the passion as the one who tells this story was there to see it. He was an eyewitness to the events. He knows exactly what happened. And he is saying these things because he believes them and he wants you to believe them as well. And the end of his gospel, chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. This is after Peter is brought back into the fold by Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, that Peter goes on to be told how his life will end, that he will die a martyr's death. But then he turns and asks about John, who's nearby, because, well, Peter's always been in competition, and we see this over and over again in the Gospels. But we have here Jesus saying that, what does it matter about him? You worry about you. And so when John is talking about this other disciple, the one whom Jesus loves, he is the one writing the Gospel, telling you these things. Verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The blessing is here for all those who read aloud, as I am through the podcast, and those who hear as you are listening to the podcast, and especially for those who keep what is written in it. This is the first of seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. We won't see another one until chapter 14, but you have the beatitude in chapter one, verse three, chapter 14, verse 13, chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 19, verse nine, chapter 20, verse six, and then chapter 22, verses seven and 14. Very similar are all of these beatitudes, the blessing on who hears and keeps the word, because this is what is going to happen soon. And Jesus uses the word soon and quickly to talk about these things. And we still scratch our heads because it's been 1900 plus years later, and we are still waiting for whenever soon and quickly happen. But Dr. Brighton says in his commentary, finally, these verses speak a blessing upon the one who reads aloud and those who hear and who keep this prophetic message the blessing is not here defined but when the other six other instances of in revelation of a pronounced blessing are examined it becomes clear that the blessing bestowed is the participation in the heavenly banquet of the bride and the lamb chapter 19 verse 9 it is a blessing which is also now received by the washing of the christian's robes 22:14 in the blood of the lamb 7 uh, verse 13 and 14, and is a participation now in the first resurrection, chapter 20, verse 6. At both the beginning and the end of the prophecy, this blessing is spoken upon the hearers. So we hear these words again from verse 3 of chapter 1 in ch- verse 7 of chapter 22. It is also the present gift of God to the faithful recipients of the gospel as it comes in the word of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and in holy baptism and in the Lord's Supper. Thus, it is spoken over the Christians assembled for corporate worship, where the scriptures are read aloud to the assembly and the sacraments instituted by the Lord Jesus are cherished and followed. So who receives this blessing? Not just those who read Revelation, but those who come together together to read and to hear the word of God itself, to celebrate hearing the word of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection in receiving the sacraments as the means of grace, showing that all the future promises that those of the left behind ilk want to say are off well into the future, no, those are here now. And we have been enjoying them for 2,000 years. But it is our job to see, as the angel brings it to John, that blessing that is here, blessing that we often take for granted as we see just the normal things of hearing the preacher talk or seeing water in the baptismal font or the bread and wine on the altar for the Lord's Supper. These are ordinary things that God uses to bring you into the blessings that are there for you and that he prescribes to you and to all who read and hear his word. All right, we're going to wrap it up here for this week as we come through the first three verses. Next week, we get into verse four and to talk about the seven churches that received the first copy of Revelation and see, begin to see what is important about these churches and to see what blessings are given to them for being the ones to receive this letter. But until next week, this is Pastor Doug Minton, thanking you for being here, digging deeper into Revelation with me. And I pray that this has helped to strengthen you to see the blessings around you as you wrestle with the theologies around you. Amen.